This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on Zoom calls all day, having to wear a mask everywhere, and now using your eyes and your eyes only to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite line of brow products that are so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, you can have the most amazing brows ever. They have an amazing range of products from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, and gels. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And Caroline, something big happened last night. Oh, Lord. I watched The Craft for the first time. And you're how old? Just kidding. I'm 30. And I watched The Craft for the first time. Gosh darn it, Caroline. No. I was raised in a very conservative home, and movies with occult themes were not allowed. What about slumber parties? They weren't allowed. No, I went to slumber parties, but I never saw the craft. I just never saw it. I was obsessed with it. Tell me more. <laughs> I was obsessed with it. I loved that movie. I was equal parts like terrified and adoring of Feruza Balk in that movie. Like her use of dark lipstick, I so admired. You can still p- try to pull it off, Caroline. I was about to say pull it off, decided to add the try to, because uh, it's a tough look. It is a tough look, and I am very pale. My skin tends to get a little ruddy, especially when I'm embarrassed, and I feel like a dark, dark, almost black red would just not look good on me. Or just make your lips pop. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> uh, I was so surprised watching it that a movie made in 1996... It still felt fresh to me. I mean, maybe it was just like Skeet Ulrich's face just <laughs> shining through on screen. I don't know. Maybe it was their cool semi-coordinated outfits. Maybe it was the soundtrack, which I kind of now want to buy. And yes, on CD, just, you know, for <laughs> nostalgia. Um, but it was really good. Yeah, it's a great movie. I, and then I realized, though... In preparing for this episode, so not only was I like super excited to maybe potentially chat about the craft, but I started realizing like, wait, there are a lot of great witches that I love in movies that I've seen over the course of my life. Like witches, the movie Witches with Angelica Houston. Yeah, that's the purpose of this entire podcast episode. I know. Well, I was, I just enjoyed my trip down memory lane. So should we save some of your favorite witches for later in the podcast? Fine. I know, because I'm only asking because I could sit here and and talk so long. Because also, not as big of a thing, but another thing that happened last night, before I watched The Craft for the first time, I watched Teen Witch for the first time. And I have not seen that. Well, well, here we go. A witch movie I've seen. (laughs) But you haven't. How the tables have turned, Caroline. They have, literally. What slumber parties have you not been to? I you know, so it was either The Craft or uh, Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. Now that I have seen so many times. <sighs> Tragic love story. We'll do another podcast episode on horses and swimming pools. <laughs> <laughs> so, dear listeners, Halloween is coming up, at least at the time that we are recording this podcast. And we got to talk about witches and nothing really to do with the history of real live witches, but witches, especially on screen, because the more you start thinking about the appeal of witches, I'm not talking about like evil witchy witches, like the Wicked Witch of the West. I'm talking about like witches in the craft, like your Angelica witch in the witches that you love so much. Like, why do we as ladies love witches so much because a lot of times witches are associated with evilness, ugliness, spinsterhood. And yet there's this whole other bigger group of witches that are associated with cunning and power and fun. Well, I think even the witches that are associated with evil and ugliness and spinsterhood are still delivering a big old middle finger to convention. 
True. Espe- I mean, especially if we are talking in terms of like pop culture. Yes. And, and movie and TV representations. When you, anytime, I feel like because Hollywood is, is not only sexist, but ageist. Anytime you have a woman over like 30, uh, that's like, oh my God, how are we going to cast her? Uh, and so, yeah, the fact that a character could potentially be older, she could maybe wear one of those like fake witch noses and a fake witch wart. Uh, it's like, yeah, yeah, screw you, convention and, and beauty norms. So who was the first witch you saw on screen, Caroline? I don't remember. I don't know. Do you I, have any hunches? I mean, it was, I mean, speaking of the Wicked Witch, it was probably the Wizard of Oz. I'm guessing mine was the Wizard of Oz, too. Yeah, uh, but it was it was shortly thereafter. I mean, I know I saw The Wizard of Oz for the first time when I was very, very young, but it wasn't too long after that I saw the Raoul Dahl movie interpretation of, of witches. Yeah, my, I got to tell you, I am obviously really catching up in terms of pop culture witches because, like I said, growing up, witches were not something that were welcome in my household and, you know, my parents were doing, doing what they thought was right. But I, I feel a little sad that I'm not as as witch knowledgeable as, well, you and, like, all of my peers. <laughs> like anyone of your generation. Yes. <laughs> um, it's fine. But it is it is really fascinating. Even, even I, who <laughs> have not seen all of the possible witch movies there are to see, um, can understand this historic symbolism that we do see reflected in a lot of our most beloved witches on screen. Because what do witches represent? I mean, power. They really connote women's power. You have intuition, fertility, sisterhood, spinsterhood even. Yeah, and they're also defying that normal patriotic... patriotic. Normal patriotic. (laughs) They hate this country. (laughs) Um, They're all communists. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and not to mention, of course, they're defying the normal patriarchal social order. And and what I love, you know, talking about power and the social order and everything, and, and I'm going to continue citing the movie Witches, is that these women, for instance, in that movie, all of these witches are together at a convention, at a hotel. And it's so funny thinking back on that movie and realizing that the way that strikes me now is like the way that so many business centric like women's organization conferences go. I mean, they're not witches. So what do you mean by that? Oh, well, it just it's like it's it's a a witchy version of networking. Gotcha. Is what it feels like. You've got all of these witches at a convention, at a hotel. They're having like their annual meeting. They're netwitching. They're <laughs> yeah, that's so perfect. That's so perfect. Can we start that LinkedIn spinoff site, Netwitching? Netwitching. No, well, yeah, and we need to actually have that in real life. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm serious. We're going to host it. We're, we've got so many stuff on Ember Told You side businesses just <laughs> popping up left and right. We should really start to write them down at some point. Yeah. Mm, I well. do like it, though, when listeners will email us in like a few weeks later and like remind us of bands or random products that we've talked about launching. Yeah, we still get emails about the potential sminty menstrual cup. Oh, yeah. Sminstrel cup. Sminstrel cup. Uh, well, back to witches, though. <laughs> okay. From periods to witches. I feel like that is a perfect segue. Or a book title, From Periods to Witches. <laughs> um, someone who wrote an entire book about witches, Catherine Howe, who wrote The Penguin Book of Witches, put this whole witch symbolism perfectly in an interview with NPR where she said, What made witches dangerous in the early modern period makes them enticing now. Here's a case of a figure, a person, a woman generally, laying claim to power that doesn't belong to her, that should belong only to God, or should belong only to people in authority. And she's taking that power for herself. Yeah, and the new inquiry echoed the sentiment uh, a little more poetically, I would argue they sounded like they got drunk. They maybe had too much red wine and wrote an ode to witches. Uh, they said, in a male supremacist society, female power must logically appear illogical, mysterious, intimate, threatening. Which stands for all of those unnameable shadow acts of disappearance and withdrawal, self-cultivation and self-medication that elude the social and sexual order. So witches, I mean, witches are a lot. 
to yeah. put it very eloquently. Yeah, wrapped up in that witch hat, you've got a whole lot of messing with convention. So, Hollywood's so-called season of the witch, yeah, Donovan reference, any fans out there, uh, makes so much sense because this is such a rich character to play around with. And it's one that has been really popular in the past four or five years, especially with help from Harry Potter. We have Hermione, who pops up on every single listicle about best, most favorite, awesome witches in pop culture of all time. Well, so does Maggie Smith's character, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's a common one, too. I'm going to admit something. Admit. I have never, never read, nor have I watched any Harry Potter. Oh, Caroline, our inbox, I can just hear it filling I up know, right I know, I just heard the tippy typing of people being like, what is wrong with you? And I, do, I don't know. I just let it pass me by as a social phenomenon. Do you need to take a vacation so you can read up, Carolyn? I- <laughs> <laughs> I'm shaking my head at you, Conker. <laughs> Only for the pronunciation of Carolyn. Um, well, I don't know about any of that, but I do know that Maggie Smith looks great in a witch hat. She does. She does. I mean, I say, you know, uh, this fall, bonnets were supposed to be, you know, come into fashion. Is that a true thing? That was a true thing. Bonnets are not going to happen. But I would be behind trying to make witch hats happen. Sure. You know? Could we get, could we combine the slouchy beanie and the witch hat? Absolutely, Caroline. Um, But back to television. Okay. (laughs) Sure. Again. So, it's really funny to see how the witch craze has been reported in entertainment media. Um, in 2011, the vampire craze kind of gave way to witches on TV. And in the LA Times, Melissa Maris reports, for network-seeking female viewers and mean girl heroines, witches offered the perfect double threat. Because witches cast girls quite literally in control, not only of their lives, but of entire worlds. So you have witches appearing that year in True Blood, the CW's The Secret Circle, and a wicked witch slash queen appearance in Once Upon a Time. So everyone's like, oh my gosh, witches are everywhere. We're having a witch moment. (laughs) And in 2013, we were apparently still having a witch moment, according to Mary McNamara over at the LA Times. Uh, She gives the examples of American Horror Story Coven, which is apparently very controversial among people, depending on if you think it's like the best thing ever or the worst thing ever. Oh, we'll talk about it, Caroline. Oh, good. Okay. Also, the witches of East End and witch characters appearing on Sleepy Hollow, the originals, Supernatural, and more. And if it sounds like I'm reading off a list, I am because I haven't watched any of these things. I'm sorry to say. I'm sorry. Well, she, I mean, there were so many, though, that, A, yes, it does make up a list. And McNamara declares 2013 the year of the witch. Mm. I mean, so, I mean, arguably, we've already passed peak witch. Oh, I don't know. You don't know? Yeah, I mean, like, I agree. I think that we're, we're still really enamored with witches. Um, but McNamara really got me thinking a lot about this long-standing pop cultural symbolism of witches because, um, she tidily sums up their appeal to television creators saying, and a quote, and it's a long quote, but it's a good one. <laughs> witches are a handy solution to other more pragmatic narrative problems. They can be old and wise and still beautiful. There's that ageism, Caroline. Mm -hmm. They're allowed to commit acts of fury, sex, and violence, still the hallmarks of important drama that would be far less acceptable from a mortal female character. And they often come in (laughs) groups, which is how television writers like women. And I'm now imagining... Sex in the City. Sex in the City recast as a coven. Were they just a coven the whole time? Yeah. I mean... That just changes everything. It's like Garfield without dialogue. Garfield so, without John? Garfield. No, it's John without Garfield, Sorry. which is so depressing. But no, I think that's such a, a fascinating, perfect quote that hits all of it right on the head in terms of uh, allowing women characters to get away with stuff that they wouldn't normally. I mean, that's so it's not necessarily something I think about all the time, but like, yeah, that's that's absolutely true. Imagine if you had just your run-of-the-mill average lady on television who was, 
being in some way sort of evil or doing something perceived as evil. We wouldn't have any sympathy for her. Whereas if she's a witch, it's like, oh, well, it makes sense. I love this. Let her do more of it. Well, and interesting, too, to think about the whole age beauty thing that we often see come up with witches, where it's so rare to see a woman portrayed as hauntingly beautiful and mesmerizing if she is over a certain age. Right. But that's often so part, like a crux of these older, more evil witches, Mm -hmm. evil witches. You know, you can't be a good witch necessarily and be old and beautiful. But if you're both, then you're probably more evil. I don't know. From my from my casual witch observation, that's <laughs> anecdotal. Well, witch. I mean, but that's that's like such a plot device anyway. I mean, you mentioned how vampires gave way to witches in terms of pop culture craze. It, sort of combining these ideas is the movie adaptation of one of Anne Rice's novels. I can't remember what the title is now, but it's the one where Aaliyah is starring as the ancient vampire queen. Yes. And how gorgeous she is, and she's so beautiful, and her beauty is this big thing, and she's also very young and gorgeous and all of that stuff to to super emphasize how beautiful she is. But being that she's a vampire queen, she's also a bajillion years old. And it's that same thing. It's like, oh, well, here's a woman of a of a significant age. But, oh, it's, it's just, it's, it's Aaliyah. Don't worry. She's still real pretty. Well, and speaking of the vampire thing, too, something, it might have been McNamara, uh, and some other people have pointed out, is how interesting it is that... Witches followed up on the heels of the vampire craze because vampire lore sprang out of Victorian panic over female sexuality, essentially. And so to then have these powerful, often sexual, self-possessed women follow in the wake of the vampire craze might say something, too including that I might be reading a lot into television. <laughs> well, no, I mean, also, uh, pop culturally speaking, um, which is this entire episode, um, more recently, all the representations of vampires, for the most part, have been dudes. Yeah. Like, look at Twilight, you know, like the, the handsome, shiny vampire man boy. Uh, but now you, we're getting more and more witches, and they're, they're all uh, handsome, handsome women. Handsome, some handsome women, <laughs> which is very much a side note. I like the adjective handsome for women. I say we bring it back. Catherine Hepburn, what a handsome woman. I'm going to offer you a transition now, Kristen. Yes. One handsome woman that we can talk about is one Elizabeth Montgomery. Oh, she of bewitched fame? Indeed. Okay, so here's the thing, listeners, to keep in <laughs> mind. As we're talking about all of this symbolism of witches, and especially when it comes to women's power and sexual agency, when we look at old school witches in pop culture... A lot of times the name of the game is to repress your witchiness in order to better fit into society's little boxes. Or to use your powers, however expressed or repressed, to serve the men in your life. So again, going back to Mary McNamara's L.A. Times piece, she notes the social symbolism of witches on TV, starting with... Samantha Stevens, played by nose-twitching Elizabeth Montgomery on Bewitched, which premiered in 1964, notably the same year that the feminine mystique hit bookshelves. Yeah, so at the same time that Betty Friedan is saying that housewives are afraid of asking the question that's bouncing around in their brains of... The question that has no name, Caroline? Is this all? Samantha, the witch, is emphatically saying... Yes, this is all, and it's everything. She, her entire happiness is wrapped up in her devotion to Darren. And Judy D. O'Reilly wrote an entire book about this so-called bewitched effect and the bewitched archetype. Uh, the book is Bewitched Again, Supernaturally Powerful Women on Television, 1996 to 2011. And she really put a lot of these pieces together. Yeah, it was really interesting reading so deeply into Bewitched because... I had never before felt angry feelings about Bewitched. I'd really never felt feelings about Bewitched at all. It did, and it made you upset? <laughs> it did, yeah. It got my panties a little bit in a twist. Oh. I, I've got to tell you, 
Well, she quotes Samantha Stevens, which is obviously Elizabeth Montgomery's character in uh, Bewitched, as saying, I happen to think cooking on the stove is more fun than using witchcraft. Lies, Stevens. You know that's a lie. Um, what would Endora say to that? You know? She also quotes TV Guide in a profile of Elizabeth Montgomery and her husband, Bill Asher, who plays Darren, uh, saying that this character of Samantha would rather scrub the floor on her hands and knees for the man she loves. It is emotional satisfaction she craves. And I just am like, I, uh, I'm just imagining like, being in a real, like, actual adult couple where people have to clean up after each other and, like, take care of a home together. And I'm like, I would not rather scrub the floor on my hands and knees as a way to show love. I'd rather use my freaking witchcraft. Speak for yourself, Listen, Caroline. We all know you love to load the dishwasher. And honestly, I do too. I redo the way that my boyfriend does it. But here's the thing. We might be jumping ahead of ourselves a tiny bit. For listeners who aren't familiar with the bewitched premise, let's let them know what's going on here. Because it's not just the thing of Samantha Stevens is a 1950s housewife, or should I say 1960s housewife, and also a witch. I mean, the in the pilot, we have her and Darren get married, and on their wedding night, she finally reveals that she's a witch, and he flips out, and he's like, the only way I'm going to stay married to you is if you keep your witchcraft in check. I didn't marry a witch. I married a wife. And also learn how to do all of the domestic goddess stuff. Yeah, and also go to dinner, I think every Friday it is, at his mother's house. So he has this whole list of requirements for her, and mm-hmm. she is like, okay, I think you're, I mean, your jaw's just so square. I must, I must relent. <laughs> I don't mind. But that whole premise was perfectly normal for the audience back then. Gotta tell you about Best Fiends. It's the game pretty much everybody's talking about. Morgan number two plays it sometimes before we start the show. You know, it really challenges your brain with the fun puzzles, but it's also a very casual game, so it won't stress you out, which is perfect these days, right? What's great is you can use the game as a way to connect with your friends and your family, all while social distancing. The game is so much more than your average mobile puzzle game. It's five-star rated with over 100 million downloads, thousands of fun levels, and tons of characters to collect. You know, there are new in-game challenges and events every month, so the game's always fresh. You'll never be bored with it. You can even play the game without using Wi-Fi. So, here we go. You don't want to miss out on the game. Join millions of Americans and a lot of us here on the show who are already playing this fun puzzle game. Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play today. Just go over there, hit download Best Fiends for free. Apple App Store or Google Play. That's Friends Without the R, Best Fiends. Check it out. I do think you'll like it. Friends Without the R, Best Fiends. This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on video calls all day, having to wear masks everywhere, and now using our eyes and only our eyes to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite brow products that is so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, have the most amazing brows ever. They have professional quality products at the perfect price point. Celebrity makeup artists use Arches and Halos because of how well done the formulas are, and they are half the price of department store brands. They have eight color shades to choose from, everything from sunny blonde to auburn to charcoal. Everyone is represented. They cater to women and men of all brow shapes and sizes. Embrace your natural brow. And they're all about individuality. Brow tools for all looks and style needs. You can use for dramatic or natural look. They have an amazing range of products, too, from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, gels, all kinds of things. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos Professional Brow Grooming. Be bold, be you. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind, in that same TV Guide article that I mentioned, and it was uh, in 1965, there was one, was he a TV executive? He was someone who was commenting on this show, and he said, a witch who's interested in being a housewife to an American male is interesting. If she just went around being a witch, nobody would care. Basically, that Darren is uh, Samantha's motivation for doing 
anything. Anything. And it's so fascinating to see how all of the profiles of Elizabeth Montgomery at the time emphasized her devotion to her husband, mm-hmm. who was also a producer on the show. And so they kind of tried to like cast them publicity wise as the real life bewitched couple. Oh, but don't worry. She loves doing chores. She really loves doing chores and she never wants to go do press and have to travel without him. So even though she might play this witch, calm down. She's actually just a wife who at one point they were talking about how she still managed to get up before him and make him breakfast in bed with like orange juice and coffee um, every morning. Yeah, because because Bill breakfasts in bed, Kristen. <sighs> Lucky Bill is I all know. I'm saying. I would love to. Well, my boyfriend does actually cook breakfast. Um, I am a, I'm a lucky girl. You're a Bill. You're I, a lucky Bill. I am Bill. I am Bill. We're all Bill. Um, <laughs> hashtag, we're all Bill. Um, but it was just one more supernatural sitcoms of that era, which I, I think is interesting also in context. You've got I Dream of Jeannie, My Living Doll, which that's a robot, uh, My Mother the Car, that's a, that's a car, uh, The Flying Nun, The Addams Family. Um, these shows are all equating the bizarre, the alien, the magical with the feminine. But like I mentioned earlier, all of these women in these shows have these fantastic extra powers that tended to just be used for the benefit of the men in their lives, basically. I mean, especially if you look at My Living Doll, which is like, it's a robot for the guy. I feel like that could go a really negative yeah. direction. <laughs> and I Dream of Jeannie, she's like so submissive. I, she just and, and she's adorable. And yes, it's a cute show and it's adorable and all that stuff. But it's such like a capsule of its time of like, I am a magical, empowered woman, but I'm going to set that aside to do whatever I can to empower you, man in my life. Yeah. And also, Caroline... I dream of Jeannie, Barbara Eden was not allowed to show her belly button on television. Oh, that's right. Yeah. She was the first Taylor Swift. Yeah. She well, was. Taylor Swift is allowed to, obviously. She just won't. She won't. Um, but if we look at Bewitched, it is interesting, as O'Reilly notes in her book, of how Samantha's witchcraft problematizes the household environment. So she asserts that this witchcraft is symbolizing womanly rebellion. And you do see this like marked contrast in how conventionally attractive Samantha is versus Endora, who is her unmarried, wild, red-haired mother who's just flitting about and hates the fact that Samantha is so devoted to Darren. Yeah, I think hashtag we're all Endora. Yes. Not that you, okay, wait, before you write me a letter, it's not that we shouldn't be devoted to our loved ones, our partners. But I'm just saying we could all use a little bit more eyeshadow. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm trying to say. So yeah, some do see Bewitched as a landmark for women because of its break from traditional form and for Samantha's ability to wield some power over her household. But it's interesting that you can literally use the same evidence from the show to argue that it's empowering versus it's disempowering. So you've got things like the idea that Darren, in in the figures of his wife and his mother-in-law and, and also uh, Samantha's aunts, that he's confronting this like powerful magical matriarchy. And and that is amazing and empowering. Um, you've got the idea that being a housewife, being Darren's wife and giving up or promising to give up her witchcraft was her choice and that that's empowering, that she chose that life over another. But the thing is, her power still is all for the sake of Darren and housework. So she promises him, right, that she's not going to use it. And then when he's away at work, she's like, well... I'll just use a spell here to to do the dishes and have the dishes be clean. And then when Darren is like struggling at work, she's like, well, I'll just use a spell to like help him along. But the thing is, like you said, her magic always ends up like causing wacky hijinks to happen, to ensue and causes problems. So for that reason, O'Reilly is less convinced that she that Samantha is as empowered of a character as we really, really, really want her to be. Yeah, using that same evidence of choosing housewifery. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas some people would say, hey, the choice is empowering. Sh- some other people would argue, well, she chose the safe, non-magical option. But really fascinating, nonetheless, to just consider it in that cultural context, because it does seem to present 
just a snapshot of like uh, of things that were happening beyond the set and outside of mm-hmm. of people's homes as times were starting to change for women. And speaking of that, um, O'Reilly notes how in the 70s, these more supernatural women like, say, I Dream of Jeannie or Bewitched give way to superheroines. So you have Wonder Woman and the Bionic Woman, for instance. Uh, and then in the 80s and 90s, you have superpowered women focused on, quote, proving themselves to male authority figures and using their powers to serve others and fearing repercussions if their powers are revealed. And this is a continual theme of hitting up against male mm-hmm. authority figures and of the fear of being othered, essentially, by virtue of your power being put on public display. Yeah, she cites shows like Charmed, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and Buffy. She says they presented a veneer of empowerment while facing constraint after constraint. And I wasn't really into Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I was super into Buffy. I watched Charmed in the beginning. And I just love to think of Shannon Doherty as a witch. I just think that 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 was perfectly cast. She's got a witchy face. Well, yeah, and she's got a witchy reputation. (laughs) He's got a witchy reputation. I would take that as a compliment. I would not mean it otherwise. Um, and it is in this era that these pop cultural witches are often considered freaks and are still fighting against domestic related constraints, not terribly removed from Samantha Stevens, although Buffy probably far more removed. Uh, but you still have, you know, like Sabrina having to deal with things at school and at her house. And a lot of times, like the girls in Charmed are like at their house, right? And like dealing with. Dealing with life as three sisters who are witches. And handsome, magical men. Oh, man. <laughs> Gotta love a handsome, magical man. And this was something, too, that jumped out to McNamara in writing about pop culture's love of witches in the L.A. Times because she says that these, what she calls supernaturally powerful women, are usually under watch by male authority figures and are usually compelled to use their power in service of other people rather than their self. Whereas, she writes, in stark contrast, supernaturally powerful male characters found on programs such as Smallville and The Dead Zone do not experience these same constraints. So it's like even when we're witches or we're supernaturally powered in some kind of way, we're still women, (laughs) Yeah, and one of the examples that she cites, and speaking of Buffy, is Buffy's relationship, uh, not a very good relationship with her high school principal who expels her because he thinks that she killed another Slayer when, in fact, that Slayer was killed by a vampire. Take a breath. Um, but, yeah, and so there's that, like, male authority, male power uh, up against, butting up against, like, sort of a more innocent, spunky, but powerful young girl. So, basically, which is... Are us. Hashtag. Hashtag. We have so many hashtags from this episode. I know, which is our us. Oh, that would be a great store. That would be a good store. Another side <laughs> business for us, Caroline. The empire continues to grow. I know. Um, but here's the thing. It is usually a very limited portrayal of who us is. If we, if we look at most of our pop cultural witches, they're typically white, middle class, conventionally attractive, straight, and able-bodied, but, I mean, we would argue that maybe it has to be this way in order for Hollywood to sign off on it. I mean, if they're going to build a whole franchise around it, then, yeah, you, you've got to make them um, attractive in this way, because which crones, those evil old warty crones can only be evil, and the prettiness mollifies the transgressive aspects of practicing witchcraft. So basically it's like our, if Sabrina the Teenage Witch were an unfortunate looking girl, would she have been as popular? Or did we need her to look kind of cute in order for us to be like, okay, cool. That We like that combination of like, you've got a cute face and you can also be witchy. It helps that she was Clarissa explains it all. I mean, that's true. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. So we know, listeners, it's been rough for a lot of people out there, and we've been very open about our experiences with therapy and how it's been so helpful for us in the past and in the present. And because of that, we wanted to highlight a service that we think might be of help to you all. 
BetterHelp, which offers licensed online counselors who are trained to listen and to help. You can talk with your counselors in a private online environment at your own convenience from wherever you're comfortable. And BetterHelp counselors have expertise in a broad range of areas. They can give you access to help that might not be available in your area. And you just have to fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs and then get matched with a counselor in under 48 hours. BetterHelp is an affordable option and our listeners get 10% off your first month with a discount code MOMSTUFF. Get started today at betterhelp.com slash momstuff. That's better com slash momstuff. Talk to a therapist online and get help. This episode of Stuff I Never Told You is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a lot different than most. We're staying at home for the most part, and many events we usually look forward to are canceled. We find ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players ages 10 and up, although many younger kids can play with initial adult guidance. It's a great way to keep families engaged and off screens, even if it is just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. Unlike the roll your dice, move your mice games, this is a little different. What are your experiences? The first time I played Catan was at our office game night, and it was so fun. It was quick to pick up. It was easy. It was social. We made it really competitive because we're a competitive group, but you don't have to. And what I thought was just going to be a, a short game among friends turned into an epic game night that we shall remember forever. <laughs> hours we played, hours. And uh, yes, I lost, but I had fun. You had fun. <laughs> well, obviously it keeps you really social. And like you said, it is really easy to pick up, which is really nice right now. This year is the 25th anniversary of Catan. Get Catan at catanshop.com slash mom. Listeners of the podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got the example also, though, of Melisandre on Game of Thrones, who is like exceedingly beautiful and always, even though it's so cold outside and she's always in the snow, she's wearing dresses that are cut down to her belly button. Melisandre, come on, I know your hair doesn't keep you that warm. Put on a shirt. Do you want a hoodie? God, I just always want to give her a hoodie. Well, Caroline, you clearly don't know that witch blood is much hotter than human blood. <laughs> she is always setting people on fire. Uh, so that's the thing. But I mean, a counterexample would be True Blood's black male witch, Lafayette. Very true. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there have been a few more examples of diversifying mm-hmm. witches. Probably most prominently of late would be American Horror Story Coven, which presented age-wise and uh, ethnicity-wise a far more diverse coven than we've probably ever seen on network television. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people were pretty disappointed with it in terms of how... Ryan Murphy, I mean, and, and this is something that um, Ryan Murphy, I think, just kind of tends to do with a lot of his shows. And yes, I have been watching Scream Queens is focusing the plot more around, quote unquote, catfighting among the witches and also some kind of straight up racisty portrayals of the black witches that left a lot of people scratching their heads. Um, so a lot of people felt disempowered by Coven. Yeah, I talked to uh, Holly of Stucky Mist in History Class about this because she was like, what are you guys doing this week? Talking about witches? Oh, my God, you have to watch American Horror Story Coven. And what did she think about it? She freaking loved it. Really? She strongly disagrees with the idea that, A, all they're doing is portraying these women as catfighting and infighting, and B, that it's disempowering at all. Granted, I mean, she's a super fan and all that stuff. Like, I've never seen it. All I know is that I, (laughs) Kristen and I read this article um, that was describing how disappointing it was for people who wanted it to have been so much more for, for showing both powerful and empowered women working together and not just focused on men or relationships or marriage and babies or anything like that, um, and how it fell short in a lot of people's minds. Well, I mean, that was one article, though, of oh, yeah. many. But so what, though, did Holly like about it, aside from like disagreeing with what critics had to say? Oh, I mean, she she completely on the opposite end of it thought it was empowering. And she thought it was she just loves witchy things and thought that these women were incredible and that Jessica Lange and Angela Bassett were incredible. She loved the relationships that these women had and that they had power. She she loves Kathy Bates and thought Kathy Bates was great, although several places that we looked at had Kathy Bates as like the most problematic. But 
I don't know. I haven't seen it. So. Maybe. Well, it could also be an example of one of those things where it's like everything you like will ultimately be problematic. Yeah. That that is a true statement. Always. <laughs> Always. And maybe we should have Holly back on just to talk about Coven. I know. Does it matter if Halloween has long passed? Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> so, I mean, nevertheless, any kind of quote unquote problematic portrayals aside, and I only say problematic in that goofy voice because, yes, it has become a word that is bandied about far too much and it's kind of losing its meaning. But, um, all of these witches that we're talking about still often make, for a vast majority of us, ultra satisfying female characters. We love to see witches. So, who are our favorites? Because one of my, one of, one thing that delighted me the most to discover in researching for this episode is just how many best of lists there are. It's like, oh, if yeah. you have a blog, if you have a lady site of some sort, you gotta have some kind of roundup of your favorite witches. Well, I think it's an excellent convergence of things we've talked about before in terms of like fandom and girls fandom in particular and the fact that you've got these characters who are female and who are empowered to some degree. And so it makes sense to me that you would have a bunch of like top 10, top 20, top a million uh, witch characters on television and movies. Well, and one thing uh, that didn't strike me until Kelly Buseman over at Jezebel pointed it out was that if you have a show or a movie about witches, it probably automatically passes the Bechdel test because you have a group of women with names talking to each other and probably not about dudes all the time. Not about dudes all the time. Although, you know, one of my favorite, 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 favorite witch movies is Hocus Pocus. And I would have to go back and see for sure because the whole thing is throughout that whole movie... They're so trying to, uh, they're trying to destroy Thackeray Binks, who is a little boy who then turns into a cat. Uh, have you seen, have you seen Hocus Pocus? No. Oh god, it's so good. We should totally, I don't know if anyone would tune in for like a two hour periscope, but we should totally periscope us watching that, or at least live tweet it. It is my favorite. But yeah, they, they are very concerned with, with killing Thackeray Binks, and so, it's a fabulous movie, but they do talk about a boy quite a bit. Do they have a conversation just about the cat? Maybe do they just <laughs> about the refer to it as the cat? Maybe that could count. <laughs> Let's do that. Let's have an event where we live tweet checking to see if Hocus Pocus passes the Bechdel test. Hello. I'm sure it does at some point. That's that's the stuff that the internet is made of, Caroline. Yeah, exactly. I mean, early on in the movie, I think they're just like casting spells and concerned with each other. So yes. <laughs> having makeover montages. Oh, wait, no, that's another movie. Um, so if we were to amass our witch squad, mm-hmm. hashtag witch squad goals, who would be in it? Well, for sure, I would say the Sanderson sisters from Hocus Pocus. I would also say the two aunts and the two nieces from uh, Practical Magic, which yeah. is another one of my favorite, favorite movies. Sandra Bullock classic. Well, also Stevie Nicks killing it on the soundtrack. Because, you know, she her whole witchy woman thing. You know, Rhiannon, uh, yeah, that, all that stuff. Oh, keep, keep going. Oh, no, 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 I, I will not. Uh, I'd also want um, Nancy Downs from The Craft, which is Feruza Balk's character, just to, like, be my muscle. But also, we can't leave out Robin Tunney, from that movie. She played Sarah because she's like the good witch. Yeah. I liked I liked her a lot. Nancy Downs. I'm sorry, I don't think that Nancy could be part of my witch squad because well, it, her power might get out of control and I would have to bind her and then she'd find <laughs> out that I bound her and then we'd have a fight. No, I'm just saying, we would just continually bind her. We do binding her. That's that all spell. we do when yeah. we hang out. Nancy, would you cut it out? And then we bind her. Guys, let's bind Nancy again. <laughs> She's getting out of control. Um, what about what about Hermione? Would you want Hermione there, or would she call too many of the shots? Oh, I don't squad? know. I haven't. I, don't, okay. I have no cultural <laughs> reference for Harry Potter, but I mean, I know a lot of people love Hermione, and and uh, her real life equivalent. Emma Watson is is like all hashtag he for she, so I mean she can come along. Emma Watson, this is your open invitation to join Stuff I've Never Told You's Witch Squad. Our coven. Someone let her press person know. Um, You know who I would not invite in my witch squad? Oh, who? Having just seen it, and I haven't been able to get this off my chest yet this episode. Okay. Louise Miller? 
played by Robin Lively of Teen Witch. Because Teen Witch, while it does have some of the best rap scenes <laughs> ever put on film, um, I did not support the premise of that movie what where she learns that she's a witch uh-huh. and she uses her witch power to make this handsome L.L. Bean catalog looking guy fall in love with her. Uh-huh. And it suggests in the film through some very close up, very tongue heavy French kissing in a like random barn or something that they run across that they have sex and she's like, oh, no, what am I going to do? Uh, but the moral of the story is that he fell in love with her for realsies and she doesn't need to be a witch anymore because now her hair's big oh. and the popular guy still likes her even though they've had sex. And it was just awful. So it's just a, an when is it when was it made? Uh, I am guessing in like the late 80s, early 90s. So it's like an 80s update of Bewitched, sort of like she's giving up her power for a dude. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, I was surprised at how how upset I was at the end. The credits started rolling, and I was like, is this it? This can't be it. Well, I would also want to invite, speaking of, of the movie, which is starring Angelica Houston, I would, also, I would not invite her because she's evil, but I would invite the main character, Boy's aunt, who's the good witch. She's literally dressed in white and she's blonde compared to Angelica Houston, who's dressed in black and has black hair. Um, and this woman is like super, oh no, it's not his aunt. His aunt takes him to the conference. It's the white witch at the end who comes and turns him from a mouse back into a boy. I am sorry, listeners. But that woman, I think she drives a convertible. I would invite her. Well, this sounds like a pretty solid witch squad. So far, yeah. Um, but I'm sure that listeners have more suggestions for our witch squad, who else should we invite? Oh, they'll probably say Willow from Buffy. Willow. We haven't mentioned yeah. Willow. Yeah. I, I would say, well, you don't want evil Willow, as long as no. it's good Willow. Good Willow. Have her come on. Mm-hmm. I mean, also, too, Willow, talk about some TV history. One of the first positive portrayals of a lesbian couple on television. Yeah. We got to do a Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode at some point, Caroline. Uh, I'll have, well, let's go back and rewatch all of it. <gasps> let's watch some Hocus Pocus. Let's watch some Buffy. Let's... Well, well, we have to quit our day jobs to do this. No, but no, 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 it's just teleworking. <laughs> oh, it's that what te- I've been teleworking wrong. Yes, <laughs> yes. Listeners, don't email our bosses. Well, send us all of your witchy suggestions and any theories as to why witches are so enduring. Was there anything that we missed in this witch conversation? Because there really are so many witches on film big screen, small screen to choose from that we couldn't possibly mention them all, including one last one, Caroline, a movie that I want to go back and watch is 1942's I Married a Witch, starring Veronica Lake, who was probably the most dazzling witch because that hair is perfection. Yeah. So with that... Send us your witchy emails. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. You can also tweet us, hashtag WeAreAllIndora at MomStuffPodcast. Or messages on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. I have a letter here from Beth in response to our athleisure episode. She says, I love the show. I look forward to these bi-weekly forays into feminist topics. I just listened to your athleisure episode and I felt that I had to write in. You mentioned that the rise of athleisure has led to women not dressing for a male gaze, but I have found the opposite to be true. As a woman who comes from a religious background, too many times have I heard about the sin of the yoga pant. And I appreciate that you used the Stacey London singular pant. Uh, she says, these comments made mostly by men point to how yoga pants help accentuate a woman's curves, driving men to a lusty distraction. Very rarely, though, is the discussion balanced, saying that while female clothing may be enticing to the male gaze, it's ultimately the man's responsibility for how he responds. Instead, it quickly devolves into slut-shaming, making women feel guilty for wearing almost any article of clothing that they find comfortable and or attractive. And with fashions changing, modesty is a constantly moving target that unfortunately seems to be predominantly from a male point of view. As a feminist within this conservative community, I can tell you it really steams my beans to feel subjected to these arbitrary rules. So while I've been trying to open up communications on what modesty is within my circle of influence, I also have been buying the most comfortable and cute leggings and yoga pants that I can find. 
I'll admit that some days when I don them, I can still feel a twinge of guilt or shame, but I try to shrug that off and walk through my life with my head held high and my stomach comfortably supported by elastic. Thanks again for such a great podcast. I always find the topics insightful and have many great discussions with friends that have started with the phrase, so I was listening to this feminist podcast today. Well, thank you, Beth. Loved your letter. Well, I've got a letter here from Jen also about our athleisure episode, and she writes, I had to laugh because as I'm writing this, I'm at work in a full writing habit. Breeches, riding socks, belt, tucked in shirt, and vest. Boots and chaps are in the car to avoid tracking dirt everywhere. Writing clothes probably aren't what you were thinking about when you were making this podcast, but this is beginning to be more common among equestrians. The clothes we buy for writing tend to be fairly expensive as well as fashionable and flexible. The breeches I'm wearing now are literally the most comfortable pants I've ever owned, which makes sense if they need to flex and move with you as you move on the horse. I'm wearing these today because I plan on going riding right after work, but there's definitely a status symbol of wearing riding clothes in public. Not to be snobby, but there's something satisfying about wearing actual equestrian apparel while everyone around you is wearing equestrian-inspired accessories that would fall apart the minute you mounted a horse. It's just a little thing that makes me smile. Anyway, I love the show. Please keep the episodes coming. They make my workday fly by. And your letters help our workday fly by. And you can send them to momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts, including this one with links to our sources, so you can read more about all that symbolism you never knew existed in Bewitched, head on over to stuffmomnevertoldyou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. In this time of pandemic and revolution, do you find yourself frustrated at high levels of corruption and inequality, at our inability to get basic things done, at the persistence of systemic racism? You're not alone. I'm Baratunde Thurston, author, activist, and comedian. Our democratic experiment is at a tipping point, but which way we tip is up to us. Listen to How to Citizen with Baratunde on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Gold Club was the top strip club in Atlanta in the 1990s, with patrons like Dennis Rodman, Michael Jordan, Madonna, the King of Sweden. But in 2001, the club was put on trial with charges of prostitution, extortion, credit card fraud, racketeering, and an affiliation with the mob. I'm journalist Christina Lee, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes of the Gold Club scandal, from the booty and bubbly to the deceit and courtroom drama. Listen to Racket Inside the Gold Club on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.